And our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the assurance of those words. Father, we thank you that it is because of you that uh, through it all that we have peace that can only be defined by you in us. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather today to be here, to hear your spirit speak to our hearts, and for you to guide us. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, morning, church family. Uh, I want you to know I'm really, really glad to be here with you today. Uh, some changes in my calendar, and I have two really good friends that are taking uh, responsibility out in liberal Kansas for me to be here today with you. And so I want to call us to worship this morning with a passage out of Psalm 16, verses, six, or verses 7 and 8. And I've taken the liberty of changing it from a personal pronoun of I, me, to us. So here's what Psalm 16, 7 and 8 would speak to us for today. We bless the Lord who gives us counsel. In the night also our heart instructs us. We've set the Lord always before us because he is at our right hand we shall not be shaken. Two weeks ago today, uh, right here at this church, there was an announcement made that uh, the search team had come to a decision, recommended it to the deacons, and as those two groups of people met, they were ready to recommend to you, Garen Forsythe, to come and in view of your call for him. I believe, as I've been speaking through Ephesians, that today is such a great example of how we as the body of Christ sends his leadership forward into his future. The church leaders, led by Ryan, the deacons with Scott Waters, and those men meeting together have sought the Lord. But they're bringing a recommendation to us, and I'm not a member, so to you as the body of Christ in Emporia, Kansas. And so it is just a privilege to get to be here with you today on an important day where Garen's going to come and share his heart. Ryan, I'd like to ask you to, your perspective. Sure. You know, when Garen got his resume to the search committee, I think it was about two to three days before our deadline. And I remember thinking, good. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad we got this resume. I'm glad that he threw his hat into the ring. But surely there's someone else. Surely the guy that God has for 12th hasn't been here with us all this time. And I think maybe that I thought that because I really didn't know Garen very well. We, we did have some on our search committee that did know Garen, as I'm sure there are some of you out there that know Garen well also. But I would, I would guess that more of you out there are like me in your knowledge of Garen in that, you know, I essentially knew three things about Garen about five months ago. Um, one was that he worked with international students. Two, was that for some crazy reason he liked the Denver Broncos? <laughs> and three, when he preached, by the time I got to Gambino's, all the good pizza was gone. Okay? That's, that's pretty much what I knew about Garen Forsyth at that point. As, as these four months have gone by, um, I have definitely learned a lot about the heart of, of Garen. And I think you all will learn a lot about that this morning as well. One of the big things that I learned was that Garen is a very passionate person in a lot of areas. 
he is passionate about loving Jesus in his own life. He's passionate about loving his family and leading them well, and he's passionate about his ministry. And he has some very clear and unique visions for doing that ministry, for evangelism, for reaching the unchurched, and for building disciples. And when you hear Garen talk about those things in the way that only Garen can do, as I've, as I've stood up here and said before, it definitely captured my heart, and it captured the hearts of those of us on the search committee as well to hear him speak to those things. And when we took that back to our search committee meetings and we prayed about that, you know, we prayed that God's will would be done. We prayed for his guidance. And we prayed that God would not allow us to make just the safe or the logical decision, but to make the decision that was going to, to honor him in this process, that we would seek out his man. As we prayed through all that, at each step in the process, we got a clearer and clearer vision and more confidence that, in fact, Garen was the, the man that God had to leave 12th into the future. So um, with that, I would invite Garen up. He's going to share a message with us this morning. And I'd just like to pray for Garen and for all of us. Lord, I'm so thankful for the way that you have led us and, and guided us. This congregation, the church leadership, and Garen. Lord, I just pray that all of us here in our own lives and our own ministries would seek to, to honor you with what you've given to us. That we would just seek to further your kingdom. And I'm just thankful for the chance to get to know Garen better over these past months. And Lord, I'm just thankful for the great things that you have in store for his ministry and for us here at 12th. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Do you mind if we pray one more time? Sure. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I hear an amen out there to that. So, Lord... Um, it is well with my soul. Yes. You are the rock. Um, you're my fortress. You're the, the unshakable one. And I thank you that I am your child, one you dearly love, um, that I am the temple of you, the living God. You live in my heart, that I'm a citizen of your unshakable kingdom, and I'm destined for eternal glory with you. Um, Lord, this morning's not about me. It's not about even 12. It's about you. You're the, the creator and author of all of this. It is your story that you've invited us into. And so we just long for you to be made beautiful and you to be lifted high. And I, even as I share my own story, I want you to be the center of it all. I want you to be the one to have the applause and the acclaim. You would be the one that would be famous. So, Lord, uh, may the uh, meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Just no sound? Okay, I thought maybe there was, I was going to wait a minute if there was any. <laughs> uh, thank you, Skylar. He's...
Hey, uh, I can't figure it out, but there's something different about this morning. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, anybody <laughs> since that? So let me, here's what I want to do. I want to introduce myself because, you know, as we've been just going through this process, there are people who, I mean, I've been, we've been here a long time, but people know you at different levels, especially when you have 400 people, right? You're never going to, you're going to have those different levels. So I just want to tell you my story, how I got to where I am today. Um, so I am Garen Forsyth. You might know me better by my, by my brother, Al Forsyth, <laughs> or, or my, uh, my younger brother, Grant Forsyth. <laughs> these uncanny resemblances, these people that have been on staff here. But thankfully, Jordan, you have not grown into looking like me, whereas Jordan, <laughs> thankfully, he's still, he's still handsome and all. Uh, yeah, I, I was born and raised in western Kansas, in Hayes, Kansas. For those of you from western Kansas, in Hayes, America, if you're not from out west, you don't know what that means, but uh, in Hayes, America, and lived my whole life um, really in a university community. Was born there, my father taught at the university, became the graduate dean, eventually the vice provost, and my whole life has been in that context of I mean, the same size communities in Poria, same size university, but that's, that's the thing I've been connected to my whole life, and that, God has used that, I think, to shape me uh, a lot. I grew up a pretty ordinary kid. Uh, that's me when I was young, um, kind of chubby at one point. There I am with my favorite baseball cap. I love that cap. Till, and then Mom washed it and got all the guide dirt I had uh, off of it. I still remember that day. Um, uh, yeah, if you want to know why you don't often see me in suits, you wouldn't like suits either if your mom did this to you when you were young <laughs> and in your formative years. I'm seeing Landis over there. Landis, you didn't ever do that to your boys, did you? Uh, ended up, um, met Pat eventually, and we got married, and I decided to throw this photo in too because I really want to know what happened to my hair. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have this like huge hair, and I'm like, man, what in the world? What happened to all that? Um, have, so married to Pat, we got married in 86, have three uh, wonderful children who I think a lot of you know, especially if you've had kids in the nursery, you know Chris and Ariel really well. Sorry, it's hard for me to not talk about my family without some deep passion. So Carissa's the oldest on the right, um, who Lisa did not recognize this because of the hair. She's like, who's that girl? Oh, Carissa, uh, who has now just started her master's at Duke University and lived her whole life in Kansas, never saw a tornado, went out there, and in a month and a half was in a hurricane. So uh, interesting. Ariel, our second, is finishing her last year of nursing at Emporia State University. Um, will graduate in May. Um, she's at a very high-level school in Emporia State. I mean, as I've told her, is in the, the Ivy League of nursing schools, right, Ariel? Very highly regarded. Kieran, our youngest, is at K-State Salina. I've grown up my whole life a Jayhawk fan, and our son's at K-State Salina. Uh, but I like to, I'm a, I'm a K-State fan in the fall and a KU fan in the, when basketball season comes. But Kieran's there studying drones, unmanned aircraft systems. So... Uh, 
Our, our youngest is studying at K-State so that he can uh, fly pizzas to you for delivery as a living after he graduates. <laughs> be a, he's going to K-State to be a pizza delivery boy. We, we tease him about that. That's kind of a recent picture last year of us doing a Flint Hills hike, which we did last night. That was a, a year ago. That was exactly a year ago today that we did that hike. Uh, I guess I do have to apologize for the whole Broncos thing. That's part of the fun. I, I've learned from politicians, you take polls, and based on polls, you decide your beliefs. So I'm, I'm really thinking about becoming a Chiefs fan. If, from the, the, <laughs> the congregational survey, if that points out, I'll, when I, I haven't seen it yet, but if it points that out, then uh, I'm, my beliefs are wide open to whatever people want. Um, have been directing the ministry to international students in Poria State for almost 30 years, since 1990. Moved here in July of 1990. Took what Scott and Kathy Waters and a few others started as a seed ministry, and we're, we're doing a lot to build that foundation th for several years before we came, and then God brought us here. Um, a long story of a big faith step he asked us to take and how just we've seen God bless. Uh, Brandy has been working with us for eight years now. We were just talking yesterday, which... Um, which is unbelievable. Um, I'm just, uh, in Acts 4, 13, it was said of the early followers that when the men looked, people looked at them, they just said, they were shocked because they were just ordinary men. And I'm just a very ordinary guy. I mean, I like Pizza Hut. I mean, pizza, I love pizza. I love Mountain Dew, the mountains. I do love the Broncos, a Jayhawk fan. I like getting out in the Flint Hills, and I like hiking. I love being out in nature, riding my bike getting in the Colorado Rockies. Uh, the view from top of 14ers is really amazing. So just, I'm just kind of ordinary, like the, I think like all of us are, right? People who have been, who've met an amazing God and been transformed by him. So I grew up, let me tell you a little bit about my spiritual journey. I grew up unchurched. Um, my family both grew up in church, but when they got married and got out, that wasn't important to them, and they, they quit going. Um, yeah, my father, you know, he went to Fort Hayes, and a great guy, I love him, um, and a smart guy, a, a thoughtful guy, thoughtful, not just thoughtful and considerate, but thoughtful, and he had problems with the Bible, intellectual problems, and I heard those things growing up, and that influenced me a lot. Um, I, as I've been telling everybody, I was the only person in my circle, I mean, that I knew that didn't go to church. All of my friends went to church. Everybody in our neighborhood went to church. But that was just something that I didn't do. And interestingly, um, the reports I got back from them about church gave me no encouragement to want to go to church because they'd always show up every Sunday after I'd watched cartoons, slept in and watched cartoons all morning and then had lunch when we'd go out to play football They'd whine and moan about having to, had to go to church and sit and be so bored. And so to me, it was extremely, it had nothing to do with real life. I had no interest in it. Um, that was just kind of my life. As a teenager, though, God began to work in my heart, uh, began to realize that, that there was something missing, that there were longings in my heart that nothing could satisfy. I started to wonder if there was something larger that I was created for, that my hunger maybe was for something deeper than I knew. And so started, God started me on this journey. Interestingly, my journey happened almost totally outside of the church without any connection to that. And that's a long story. But 
had a lot of intellectual questions, a lot, I think, because of things I'd heard from my dad. I had a lot of intellectual barriers I needed to overcome in coming to, to faith in Jesus. But um, as I looked into and studied and read things and talked to some people, God just kept answering those questions and showing um, himself to be true, and I began, began to trust the Bible as a, as a trustworthy source. There was great evidence for what it said as being true, and so began to trust it and then began to be drawn to Jesus. And so became a believer as a teenager. One year later at a camp, I felt a very strong call into ministry and ended up going to Fort Hayes State for a year after I graduated. Our church, with me being there, decided to start a campus ministry that kind of to make me the, the core of it. I don't know. I mean, like, I was, I don't know. I didn't lead it, but like, okay, Garen's there, so we kind of did something, and that, that was really significant in my life to, because it gave me a real, a, even deeper passion for the university and the people there. Um, ended up going to Bible college where I met Pat. We married after we graduated in 86, ended, moved to Virginia, Lynchburg, where, we did, where I did seminary, and man, that was, that was crazy ride, wasn't it? She worked full-time, I worked full-time. I'm doing school full-time, um, but it was a great time, very formative in my life, and then just through some really unique circumstances, God asking us if we would be willing uh, to pick up and move from Virginia to here with n not much money in the account, no jobs here, nothing, to come and take up the ministry to internationals and to work full-time and give our lives to that. And we took that leap of faith. And as we shared with our students two weeks ago, if you've studied, how many of you have done Experiencing God, read it, done that? It's a powerful thing. But when, um, you know, when, when, you, when God calls you to something, there's always, it's larger than you are, and it's always calling you to, to step out into faith. So there's a kind of a crisis of belief you go through, like, I can't do this kind of thing. But if you will step into what he calls you to do, you will experience him in that in ways you could never experience him without walking with him in his work and doing bigger things than you could do on your own. And we've had, we have experienced that here. We have experienced him so profoundly in our lives. Being faith-supportive missionaries lived pretty poor for a long time. It's funny, Pat shared yesterday, she also grew up unchurched and when, was studying at Purdue and when she felt like God was wanting her to go to Bible college, study youth ministry. Watch out, Jordan. <laughs> that was kind of a joke yesterday. Jordan appreciates that. Yeah, he started, yesterday he pulled up, opened his laptop and was on uh, monster.com looking for, he's like, oh, I can't see what's happening here. No, she did youth ministry in, and did elementary education, but in that, when she told her dad, who was not a believer, um, she was expecting his his anger, and it did come, and he told her, he said, you're going to marry a pastor and grow up poor your whole life. You know, what are you thinking? And didn't marry a pastor, uh, married somebody else at first, but the poor thing was true for a long time. Sorry. <laughs> but it was, it was great because you learn to trust God in profound ways, very profound ways. So um, in our ministry over the years, we have seen... Um, about 150 international students come to faith in Christ since 1990. And you can talk to Brandy. We don't, we don't do numbers for numbers. We aren't looking for decisions, for decisions to put in letters to impress people. 
when, uh, when we're walking with somebody in that journey, we want to make sure they're, they're a follower of Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? We want disciples, not decisions. I've talked about that from up here before. And so we've seen a lot of students from all over the world come to Christ, and that's been just amazing to be a part of. Um, so that's just been kind of my life to this point, till a, you know, a year ago or a little more. A couple of things I want to tell you about my journey that are significant. Number one, I said it happened primarily outside the church. And I want you to know when I came to Jesus, I came to Jesus. I didn't come to a denomination. I didn't come to a church. I didn't come to Christianity. And I'm not trying to say, be negative about that. What I was coming to was Jesus. I was attracted to him. What he taught, what he said, what he did. I became convinced he was the creator in human flesh, that he had given his life for me. And everything about him was beautiful. And I wanted, I longed to know him. I longed to have his forgiveness, a relationship with him. And I longed to commit my life to him and whatever he was about. Jesus was so central to who I am and who I was in my conversion and has always been that way. And not only that, but the thing he was about, which was the kingdom of God. That is what he was about. And that was so central to my life. If you looked at Mark chapter 1 when Jesus first appeared, that may be small print, so I, I apologize. But if you look at Mark 1, 14 to 15, it, at the very beginning of his ministry, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The first, the first thing on his lips was the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 1, but just before his ascension, verse 3, it says, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about what? The kingdom of God. This was central to who he was. This was what he was about. Not just Jesus, but the early church was about the kingdom of God. Um, because the book of Acts is bracketed by this emphasis on the kingdom of God. We just read Acts 1 to 3. And by the way, right after that, he says, I'm leaving, I'm ready to leave. And they're like, oh, are you going to bring the kingdom now? So they knew what he was about was the kingdom. And then when you get to the end of Acts, after all that story, in Acts 28, we're told that for two years, this is Paul in prison in Rome. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed what? He proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And as I used to hear after I started going to a, that first church I went to, that old Baptist church, uh, if it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me, right? Good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. They were about the Lord Jesus Christ as king and the advancement of his kingdom. That's what he was about. And that's what I gave my life to. That has been my driving passion from that time till this time. I want to know him, and I want to, uh, I want to see that, that kingdom spread. That's just been the core of who I am. Um, but over the years, yeah, Jesus and the kingdom. So over the years, as I've been working with internationals, God, a little while, a while back, began to work on my heart and nudging me towards a new thing. And this shouldn't surprise us, because we're told in Isaiah and Habakkuk that God is a God of new things, isn't he? That he wants to do new things, and he wants to do new things in our lives. And as I was working with internationals, and I was doing all that, and passionately doing it, which I still, with my whole heart and passion, engage with them, um, he started to put inside of me a nudge, an urge, to give leadership to a 
community of the King of Jesus of Church. He started to put that in my heart. Those here who know me deeply and well and have known me a long time know this. We've ta- I, they've heard my heart. They've heard me talk about it. Um, I heard somebody say a couple years ago, people want to put a period on your life. This is great for all of us. Like you'll be doing something, some job, some career, and what people will do is they'll want to put a period on your life and say that's what you need to be doing your whole life. Hey, you're great at that. Just keep doing that. But that God frequently comes in and puts a comma in our life because sometimes he will come in and he'll alter our life and he'll call us to new things that we never could have imagined. And God put a comma in my life. He started dropping that comma in my heart and it was something that was growing and growing, a desire and an urge that was in there. So when, um, you know, I knew for several years Al was talking about retirement because he and I talked about it and was praying for a long time. Do I, when that time comes, is that something, God, you're calling me to? And I really had no idea and had a lot of hesitation, frankly, when I thought about it. Um, Then a little over a year ago, Al announced it publicly, and that ramped it up in my life, right? So I really was doing a lot of pursuing of God, a lot of prayer, a lot of seeking Him, people close to me who are my advisors, you know, my, the guys who know me, talking to them, asking questions, um, getting their feel. I ended up last year visiting five different individuals who had been in a church at a different lower position, right, a different position, a sub-position, and then God called in the pastoral ministry wanting to know about the transition, what it was like, Danny Payne being one of them. You guys know Danny Payne. Grant being somebody, um, that I, that I asked some questions of, but there are some others in just part of that exploration. And as it was towards the end of April, like the third week of April, that I just, I had this strong sense of God saying, um, I, I, I was feeling this leading to throw my hat in the ring, but I had this strong sense, this, this kind of day where I felt like God was like, I want you to give this to me because I'm the kind of person that can try to figure everything out ahead of time. Is anybody else like that? Like you kind of want that certainty? I want you to give this to me, and I want you to trust me with it. Throw your hat in the ring, and you, you seek my will, because that's what his kingdom is. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is heaven. You give your heart to seeking my will for, the, for 12th Avenue, which is what I've been doing all along. But you, you seek my will for 12th and for you, and you trust me with that process, and you let me be the one to, to be the final determiner of that. And so, like two or three days before it was due, I, I turned in a letter and that they'd asked for in my resume. Um, and had just been so busy preparing for Bear Trap, didn't have time to work on it like I wanted, but I, I did it and got it in under the deadline before we left um, for Colorado. And this whole time, this has been a huge journey of faith and trust for me. Uh, it's reminded me about living on support, frankly. The, I've told the search committee, I think those guys did training in poker as part of their preparation for this because I had no clue where they were with the process. I had no clue what they were thinking. Um, I really never knew where. I knew, okay, Hayda, you made it to the next stage, but you know, going from 58 to 53, that's not a big deal, right? <laughs> the first one, that's, you know, hey, we cut it. I mean, that's, it's just a joke. I, when he told me, hey, we're going to take you to the next stage, I, I texted him like, hey, getting down, being one of the top 53, that's pretty cool or something, just being funny. I really never knew how many, and even 
up until uh, like a few days before they, they kind of announced something in late August, early September, I, I still thought there were like two or three people didn't even know I was actually, that they had been considered, they had been focusing on me and didn't even know that. So it's been a, a chance for me to be grounded. Our commitment the whole time, Pat and I, um, has been we can't focus on this. I have got to keep my attention on the things that God has given me to steward my life, and that is my ministry to the international students. So doing the things we did in the summer normally, preparing for the fall like normal, and giving my attention to my family like normal. We had a daughter we were moving, and so it was just keeping centered on him. So they ended up, uh, the committee selected me. I did the interview with the deacons, and they put my name forward uh, to you guys, which probably a lot of people didn't expect because I think probably a lot of people thought maybe I would have done that early in the process, and, I, and probably I had, I don't know, whatever. But uh, it, so here we are today. So here's what I'd like to do, um, because if you, re- if you read, have you guys read the things the search committee wrote about how God worked in their life? There was a theme that stood out to me in several of them that that first letter impacted them. And I just want to take a few minutes and hit the three things. Is that all right? Can I share with you the three things I shared in that letter? Number one is kind of the idea of family. Um, I just simply said, you know, right now in the corporate world, not that we follow the corporate world, but if you read anything in leadership, if you go to leadership conference or anything, the movement in the corporate world is from raising up leadership from within. Sure, sometimes you bring leadership from without, but raising it up from within, and there's a good reason for it. Because leadership that comes up from within, they know the culture, they know the DNA of the place, they know the people, they know the history. They love the place, they care about the place. They've been there, they've been through the battles, they've blood, bled, sweat, and toiled for the place. And that's not, you know, super determinative. I mean, but there's just a lot of examples. Apple brought in Scully from Pepsi. Steve Jobs wanted him being like to run the organization for him while he was like the visionary. Came in, had no idea coming from Pepsi to, to Apple what it was and ended up getting Steve Jobs kicked out of the company that he founded and Apple tanked. And that, that's not, it doesn't always happen that way. But even thinking, even in scripture in Acts 6.3, when they were wanting to select men to work with the widows, they said, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. That idea that when people are among you, that you, you have a better chance to know them. Yes, strengths and weaknesses. So all of me has been on display for, for these six months because everybody here knows. They know where I'm strong at. They know what I'm weak at. So, but that sense of being able to see. And that's not determinative. This is not a determinative factor because if God wants to bring somebody in from the outside, that's what he does, right? And that was, our cry, that was the cry of their heart and I think the cry of our heart too is that whatever, what 12th needed is what we wanted to see. But we know the place. We've been here almost 30 years. We love it. We've, we know the history. We have been, we've been through that big breakup thing in the early 90s, the train wreck that this church went through. With Al coming on, we've been here, and we know what Al's done. We know a lot of you. We care about a lot of you. We know children and teens and 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. I mean, just all the generations we have friends and care deeply about you, and I just said... This is something that I think I bring to the table. Again, not the most determinative thing, but something I felt was important. 
but that wasn't the, the, the main thing for me. Um, because, again, God can bring somebody in from the outside. Um, but just I know the statistics. Over, it's a little over 50% of pastors who come from the outside are gone within three years. And a, coming after a pastor who's been at a place over 20 years, it's like 75% are gone within, 70, within three years. It's, there's just some advantage. So I just said, I, okay, I bring that. But here's, here are the two things that were most on my heart. Uh, and the first one is nuns. Can you guys say nuns with me? Nuns. Okay. And I'm not talking about <laughs> these guys, okay, or these gals. I'm talking about this new demographic that's been identified the last 20 years. of People in our culture who have no religious affiliation, no religious background. They don't go to church, never have. Right now, it's 25% of our culture. That's a pretty large percentage. It has grown, it has doubled in about 12 years. And the most shocking thing that just came out this last spring, the generation right behind our children, which is the I generation, Gen Z, 53% of them have grown up unchurched. Now, that's, an, that's, I mean, look at that. First generation in our culture where the majority have never been to church. And I want to tell you about these nuns, if you read about them, they have no interest in the church, they have no interest in Christianity, they have very negative opinions about us, they're not comfortable here, they don't want to come to our space, um, this is just what that's like, and this is the thing that we're facing. And I told uh, the committee, I just said, you know what, I know these people because I was a nun before this demographic existed. I was a nun when nuns almost didn't exist, because I was unchurched and I didn't go to church. And since I've come to Jesus, my passion, my whole life has been for people who do not know him. And I am passionate especially for people who are so far from him, they don't even have connection or very little connection with Jesus in some form. And I care deeply about those people. and I want to see them know Jesus. And I still, I told the committee, I still see life, I still see everything through the eyes of a nun. I still see church and everything that happens through the eyes of a person who who comes from that background, because it's so important to me. We've worked our whole ministry with nuns. Um, that's what we've done with international students. Most of them come from a non-religious background. I've worked with, uh, even a lot of people don't know, you come in being on campus contact with university students. Americans had coffee with a lot of them. Same questions, same struggles. And so this is the group that I'm really passionate about. And so the church, back 50 years ago, when the church was kind of the center of culture and everybody went to church, like when I, in the 70s when I was a kid, when everybody went to church, the model that worked really well was called an attractional model, that if you had a church that had great worship and great preaching, you could draw people into it and grow a church that way because people, church was normal and it's expected you go and it was, a, it was an accepted environment. But that's totally changed now. These nuns have no interest in coming into our space. And so we don't get rid of an attractional model because the body of Christ should be beautiful and we should be attractive to people. But there's this other model called the missional, which is, we, which is that, that the church has to get, we've got to get out of our space and get into people's lives and where they are and to reach them in that space. And it's like Acts 2. In Acts 2, Peter was speaking to people who knew the Old Testament and they knew the language and everything, and a lot of them came to faith. But in Acts 17, we've got Paul, who's out where they are, and he's engaging them 
using the language of their day and the things they read, and he's, he's trying to reach those people. And we just need both models, and I'm so, our whole ministry has been that missional model, and attractional, because that's part of it too. We have a meeting over here, but um, I just said I, I have a passion for, um, for this. And I even told in the letter, I said, I feel that 12th's next pastor must not only be aware of this cultural shift, but also know how to operate within it. I think the next pastor should be in tune with these nuns and know how to reach them personally as well to lead the church to reach out to this group in a strategic way. And I've always loved this, this passage from First Chronicles. The men of Issachar understood the times and they knew what to do with those times. And I think I'm deeply tied to our times. I know a lot about those, those nuns. I've been there. I've done that. And I feel like with a lot of our experience, I know what to do in these times. The other thing that really influenced me, so this idea of these nuns and being missional, okay? Being missional. Not getting rid of this, but being better at this one. Was after I became a believer, a gentleman, a young guy, two years older than me, came beside me and went through some discipleship material and taught me the basics of the faith so that I learned at the very beginning what prayer was, being in the Word, memorizing Scripture. I learned about the church. I learned about the need to to reach out to other people. I learned all those key foundational things, and that set a foundation in my life that everything since then has been built upon. And this is Paul's model. It's 2 Timothy 2.2. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust what you've heard me, you entrust to reliable people. What you have heard me, you entrust to reliable people who will then entrust it to others. And it's, that, it's the generational passing on of discipling and multiplying, helping bring people up. Um, and that has been so, that was so core to my growth and my Christian life that that's what we've based our international ministry on. Big events are important. God does things in here. God uses our big event over there with the internationals, the seeker thing we do over there. But what we have found, what I have found, is what really impacts people's lives and is most transformational are smaller groups, and especially when you can get one-on-one or two or three people meeting together, studying the Word, intentionally helping them to grow that that's what really impacts people. And our whole ministry has been based on this multiplication model of one-on-ones. And I, I, long, I love that. I long for that. And I want to, that's, that's model's important to me. And that's what I want to, to that's what I said I want to, to bring into 12th. That's so important to me, this discipling multiplication. And if you look at Matthew 28, 18 to 20, I mean, we all know this scripture. And to me, two of the core parts of it is, he says, go and make disciples. Don't just be where you are in your community. Go, be missional, and when people become followers, what do we do? Intentionally teaching them to obey. And to me, that's these two components. To me, I'm all about the thing that has my passion is Jesus and his kingdom. And I think the way Jesus' kingdom, the way it's meant to operate from the beginning, his intention is that we live missionally and we multiply. And that's, that's where my heart is. Um, and I, there was some other stuff I said in a letter. I think as a kingdom community, we need to be kingdom people who abide with the king. We, we walk with him closely so that I experience his life in my life. I begin to embody the kingdom to others, and then we as a community, we extend his kingdom. So I think it's all about kingdom living. So Jesus, that's what he was. Jesus was beginning a missional movement of multiplication. 
And from the day I became converted, my heart's longing, my passion, I, I want to be part of a movement, a missional movement of Jesus, multiplying followers, seeing the lost reach for him. That's what's the core of who I am. So those are the two things, this being missional and multiplication. That's, that's what I shared to them as my heart. Um, and I, I said this in that letter. I concluded it this way. The Western churches that are most effective in growing up believers and reaching their culture are those which are strong at producing disciples and have a strong missional focus. And I, I'm convinced of that. Can I say just one more thing? Being biblical. The Bible is so core to my life. It is the Word of God. We base our lives upon it. Culture doesn't tell me what to live or believe. The, the Word of God tells me. It's central to what I am. We're told in 2 Timothy 3.16 to 17 that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I believe that it is central to everything we do. And I, I love communicating the Word of God. When I went to seminary, the church I became, that I, I joined after I became a believer was just, it was kind of the fiery fundamentalist, and it was salvation sermons every week. And it was hard for me to grow in that environment. That's why my one-on-one -on -one was so significant. When I went to Bible college, I heard Christian radio for the first time. They probably had it in Hayes. I just didn't know it. Um, and I, I, I heard Chuck Swindoll. Have any of you heard Chuck Swindoll? I sat under his biblical teaching, and I mean, I, I t I've told Pat many times, I felt like I learned more from Chuck Swindoll my whole Bible college career than I did in class. And he always said that he, he, his goal was to teach the Bible with clarity with accuracy and with practicality, and I love that. When I'd listen to him, I felt like I was sitting and having coffee with somebody who was pouring the Word of God in my life, and that's been my desire my whole life and my ministry is I want to take the Word of God, and I want to bring it to his children, to people to help them grow and to help the lost come to center their life around it and know him. And my heart is to teach his Word. Always I want to be, I, I, try to, I, I just have this desire to teach clearly, creatively. I want God I want to be, uh, communicate compellingly, and I want it to be challenging because he's challenged me so much in my life. So that's kind of my journey. That's where I am. Those are the core things to who I am. If uh, the, the congregation desires to bring me in, that's what, I want, that's what I'll be about. That's my core vision. Jesus and his kingdom. You know, it's so easy to get distracted by other things, isn't it? That other things become more important. Jesus is the focus. Him being famous, him being glorified because he is so beautiful. That our focus is on him and our focus is on ab abiding in him, experiencing the kingdom reality in here so that we can embody it to people out there so that we can extend it. And not just individually, but corporately. That we corporately are about Jesus and his kingdom. That we corporately abide in that, in that relationship with the king. We corporately experience his life in us as a, as a body. We as a body embody what the kingdom is, and we as a body extend it. That's where my heart is. I long to be a part of a movement of Jesus Christ. Yeah, one more thing about being biblical. Uh, I talked to a friend two weeks ago, and when they, the Sunday they announced me, 
his young daughter, eight or nine, turned to him and said, well, I guess the services are going to be a little longer now. <laughs> Just found out uh, the worst pizza. Sorry about that, Ryan. You should have told me that a long time ago. You know, uh, if, if God has this, I want to tell you something. Like Al says, Garen, that thing you told me about the law, that diagram, this is a year and a half ago. Can you teach that to the church? Because I think people need to hear it. Can I have two weeks? Well, no, you've got one. <laughs> you know, so many times I have things to share in, in one sermon that probably should be in three. And I acknowledge that. And that's been one of my uh, faults over the years. Uh, I long to be able to do a series on the Trinity where what I do in one sermon could be done in four to break it down into smaller parts, not any less deep, not any less creative, not any less compelling, not any less clear, not any less challenging, but to be able to put things maybe into smaller parts. So, uh, uh, yeah, my commitment is services aren't necessarily going to be longer. As I've talked with people in the church these last couple of weeks, I've found out something so interesting, I mean, that I knew. This church is in such a healthy place compared to most. Do you know that? 90 compared to 95, 99, I don't know. I meet with pastors in this community that there's kind of messes going on in churches. The leadership is awesome. The, the lay leaders, I mean, the, the deacons, the lead, there, there's so much leadership out here. I have so much trust in them. The staff are great. There is, and I, I want to tell you, Al came in after a train wreck, and he laid such a great did such a great job of bringing unity, which I want to keep. That's so important. He, and laying a foundation. And as I've talked, I've shared my heart with visions, with children's ministry and women's ministry, all this. Men's ministry. I've been, here's what I've been hearing. I've been hearing a move already happening among God's people towards, let's do some more discipling, one-on-one. -on -one. Did you hear the men the other week? We need to get men together, face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder, life-to-life. The women we're talking about, they're talk, they've been talking about getting discipleship going. And the, thing, the very things I've been talking about, they're percolating here, okay? Those, they've been happening, and there's a desire for more of it. So I'm not even bringing anything new, not at all. It's just what the kingdom of God is about. And it's already here, and it's, ha it's ready, and it's happening. And I personally, if God were, if this is his will, I think there's some really exciting things in store. So can we pray? Lord, I uh, just stand very humbly before you, and again, it's all about you. Jesus, it's all about you. It's about who you are. It's about what you've done. It's about where you're taking us, and it's you and your kingdom, and again, we want you lifted up and exalted. And I just pray, you know what you want for 12th, and whoever it is, whoever it is, that this will be a place that will live for you and your kingdom first and foremost. Pray that you would keep me grounded in that reality, that all of us would live in that reality. And I pray in the name of you, Jesus, my King. Amen. Thank you, Garen. As usual, we have heard from Garen, and this is nothing new. We've seen this the times before that he's preached. We really appreciate it. And before we close the service today, we do, as representative of the deacons today, we just want to... Uh, say that you have probably over the last few weeks heard a lot about our endorsement of this man to be our next pastor. But now it's time for us to hear from you. So this Tuesday we're going to have a, um, 
an opportunity for you to come and so that the leadership can really be sure that this is what God wants for our church. So please take this seriously, prayerfully consider our recommendation to you, and come on Tuesday at 7.30 where we can get together and as a body affirm the decision. So we thank you for that. Um, we do, I do want to mention that there is going to be between services and other meeting a question and answer over here. Of course tonight I'm sure I think if Garen's well enough he'll be at the fish fry. Yep. So in any case and we can talk about the Monday night football at that point in time which would be a good time. So <laughs> in any case but so now we'd like to close as John often does with a benediction. So Bill would you do that? Uh, let's close with, with a benediction from Romans 15. So you, would you please stand? This is verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, go, uh, as John often says, go be the church as Christ desires.